conversating? <laughs> conversating with Pops and Ade. Yep, conversating mm-hmm. with Pops and Ade. Well, I'm Peter J. Harris. And I'm Ada Nike A. Harris. And this is Conversating with Pops and Ade. Conversating with Pops and Ade. Let's go. Let's get started. Hey, now, welcome back to Conversating with Pops and Ade. (laughs) What's up, Dad? Hey, now, how you doing? Let's get it on. Let's go. I'm excited. Let's talk. Let's talk. Well, you know, it's not a new cut. It's a cut. It's the same person underneath the handling this business. You no longer look like Wolverine's granddad. Oh, that's great. He's I wasn't so handsome any, now. I can see your face. I wasn't getting any royalties anyway, so I don't think they ever had his granddad as a character anyway. So that would have been new. Ooh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Anyway, hey, everybody, thank you for coming back and joining us for Conversating with Pops and Ade. Um, just in case this is your first time, I'm Adonike A. Harris, and this is Who Is You? I'm Pops, Peter J. Harris. <laughs> so today's topic is non-abusive loved ones, naming them and identifying them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go first because non-abusive loved one is something that I coined when I was in graduate school, getting my master's in women's studies. And I Mm. remember emphasizing in my research and in my work that I was always talking about a non-abusive loved one because I am very aware that sometimes a quote unquote loved one is the person that actually does the harm, does the hurting. Right. And in my thesis, because I wrote it with my dad and as a call and response, he was my my co-writer, just as we discussed a womanist approach to healing, I coined non-abusive loved one because that's how I identified him. He wanted to make sure it was known throughout the whole research process that he was not the harm doer, that he was not the abuser. And that is something that I also wanted to make sure was emphasized because, again, we also understand that in some people's experiences and some people's lives, the abuser is actually the father, a biological father. So I needed to make sure that that turn of phrase was there and it was understood. And, you know, so Mm -hmm, I will get mm -hmm. into talking about what that means to me in more detail about how to identify it. But, Dad, when you first heard me Mm-hmm. about a non-abusive loved one what did that make you feel like how did that resonate with you well frankly it it locked in my role as a healing companion as a companion and collaborator dedicated to healing and that harm uh, because in our earlier versions of uh, public uh, or drafts of the, the thesis or the titles or other essays we were grappling with <clears throat> all of a sudden it hit me I, it's like I had to clear my throat even back then yeah. and I said wait a minute this, this seems to be giving the impression that our healing work is uh, uh, predicated on me and you healing from something I did because right. we were using father and daughter. and I was like oh oh, oh no 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 and I can recall viscerally saying wait a minute can we pause hammer time let's make sure that we clarify it yeah man i start wearing my i'm starting doing like that (laughs) (laughs) but anyway so yeah it it really locked in uh once you found that turn of phrase 
it gave me an exhale that I needed to dig in even deeper. Right. No, I agree because I wanted to make sure that it was known, especially to my thesis advisor and my committee, because there actually was a little, you know, tension in there. I I believe, you know, that there may have been some personal experience or as an advisor, there was this, there was this visceral reaction to like, well, you keep saying non-abusive loved one, but you know, loved ones can be abusers as well. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. what, you know, and I had to really push to validate that because the reality I wanted to emphasize was yes, abusers Mm -hmm. can be loved ones in a sense. And I even put loved in quotes because if you're abusing someone, you're not really loving them. If Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's just point blank. Um, But I wanted to emphasize the non-abusive part because that person does not necessarily have to be a family member. Mm -hmm. And I think in any survivor's life, we all can agree. There's that first person we tell, you know, that's that first person that we felt the safety the mm-hmm. comfort and the ability to be able to tell that person. Sometimes it doesn't always go right because you may tell and that person may tell you to keep you silent. And so to me, that person is not a non-abusive loved one, but yes. the person that you feel the safest with, that you feel that they are trustworthy, that they have always shown a compassionate side, no judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, also a person who showcases empathy and understanding of circumstances surrounding abuse. So for example, people who you've seen have a, I would say the best word that I'm I'm grappling with now is really seeing someone have an understanding and empathy of the community, right? Understanding Mm. abuse, understanding, you know, the cycles of abuse, understanding trauma. Those are the characteristics that would fall into someone Mm -hmm, being mm non-abusive. And I really believe that that is what guided me to get to a place where I identified you, dad, because my mm. first person was actually a pastor at the church that I went right. to. It was, she was this woman and she just, she just built a rapport with me. She built mm-hmm. a non-abusive relationship yeah. of trust. And it wasn't just because she was in the church. Cause again, I am not mm-hmm. naive to recognizing that there are abusers right, in the right. church. So I don't say that it was, you know, just the pastor, but I do acknowledge that this woman created those things based on those characteristics. You know, she was empathetic. She was understanding. She mm-hmm. showed me that she was trust- trustworthy. She asked um, questions that were supportive. And no matter what I told her prior to actually exposing to her and and, and disclosing to her about my abuse, she showed me that she was that she could be that I could trust her with my innermost mm-hmm. thoughts and secrets. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it could be a friend, it could be a mm-hmm. coworker, mm-hmm. all of those things. So, yes, I, I like what you're saying. I think uh, one of the ways I would say it is you're searching for a unique individual uh, or, or, or a unique a person who has who has cultivated and built their capacity to eliminate threat in yeah. the in the experience uh so you know that non-abusive uh uh term you know as you grapple as i grapple with it is i say to myself well what does that really mean how does that uh, how does that connect with say victorizing or or you know yeah. you know it, all of these terms for me represent active language you know, so even though non-abusive is not a, a verb, uh, it, it it actually 
embodies for me, especially in that traumatic experiences, uh, those traumatic experiences that we were dealing with, it embodies for me that you can not only trust me, but that you can actually embrace my role. Yeah. That every dynamic way that I stay involved with this is going to just enhance safety. It's going mm-hmm. to unravel, eliminate, neutralize threat. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm never, you know, every tone of voice, it's not, not again, the individuality comes in is that I still am pops. I still sound like myself. I right, am myself. Right. I don't have to fake the language of someone else's approach to service or to uh, collaboration. I do it the way that makes me whole, that makes me right. strong. And I think that's an important uh, characteristic is you want a person to be themselves. They don't, you know, Absolutely. so many people, what do they do? They, they hear like, what do you say sometimes? That you, somebody thinks they have to say, I'm sorry, or I, uh, right. oh, that's fine. But what's most important is what's, you know, how are you representing, you know, like a, a field, an ethical field, an ethical right. ecology? How are you a representative or an ambassador from the real tender but powerful work that right. goes into collaborating with somebody? Exactly. Because it also is really about what the person who is disclosing is needing. And so yes, if they're right. trusting you enough to, you know, to be their non-abusive loved one, like if you have been chosen for someone to share their innermost thoughts, secrets, experiences, mm-hmm. then it's not your job to actually come to the rescue and save the day. Your job mm-hmm. really as a non-abusive loved one is to be still, ask how you can be supportive to, you know, I hear you. Thank you for sharing your vulnerability with me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes it feels good to hear someone say, I'm sorry that happened to you. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in reality, you don't even have to say that. You can just right. ask the person, what do you need? Because I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand is when you've gone through a trauma, especially an abuse or a sexual assault or anything like that, your choices were taken away from you. Mm-hmm. No one asked mm-hmm. you what you wanted or what you needed, specifically when it came to your body, you were violated. So if you have someone who is in this role, they've chosen you to be a non-abusive loved one, then the real blessing and the gift that you offer is the choice. How can I support you? What do you mm-hmm. need me mm-hmm. to do for you? Right. A lot right. of times they may not even want to go to the police. They may not even want to tell anybody else. It's not your job to convince them to do that. Right. It's not your job to to go mm. behind their back and mm. do it because then you're just perpetuating. This is what it's uncomfortable for you. So you need to mm-hmm. tell. Definitely mm. encourage them to, you know, what kind of support they need. You know, well, what do you need? OK, you don't want to do you don't want to go to the police. So then what would you what do you need to do? If that person is in physical harm, like if they go back home, right. you know, maybe offer like, hey, well, why don't you just spend the night? Why don't you, you know, mm-hmm. stay here? And, and just give them the opportunity to make choices. And I think right. that's the piece that I really want to emphasize is the power of choice, the power of being listened to. And I uh-huh. think also, Dad, one of the reasons why I can identify you, not only just outside of you just being my father and being a kind-hearted father, uh-huh. but you listen to me. 
the hardest thing for you to ever do was to not do anything. And I asked you to do that and you did it. And that built respect. Mm. That built me looking at you like, cool, he's listening to me. This isn't about him. This isn't about, or even my mom, like this isn't about you Mm -hmm. two getting back and and wanting revenge. Mm -hmm. You know, it was about, okay, Are asked us not to do anything because she wants to lead the way. And I do believe, yes, because I was an adult, when I finally disclosed, I had a little bit more agency than if I was 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. But even at 15 or 16, if I had come forward, my choice would not have been for you or mom to retaliate because at the end of the day, the two people that I would have needed the most could have been arrested. And then now I don't have anybody. Yeah. And so that's kind of like that indiscriminate action. Yeah. Which is what I would like sort of call it for this month. So if, if you say do this or please do this or consider not doing this. And I say, no, I'm going to go on and do what I need to do for my ego or for right. the righteousness of it. Even that's another way to avoid, you know, it's not necessarily in and of itself abusive, abusive right. or uh, causing more abuse. But it is a way to avoid that stillness. See, because mm-hmm. to me, stillness is not passivity. It, you know, I, in fact, you know, uh, I know I found language for it in the thesis to say, I, I knew that. So, like, when I got the news and I got it from your brother, uh, you yeah. know, not from you at that moment, later on, you wrote me and told me what was happening. Uh, the part of me, of course, wanted to figure out I'm on the plane, I'm coming, and I'm changing into the superhero costume in the bathroom on the airplane. So that when I land, I'm like, pow, pow, pow. But another mm-hmm. part of me, and I knew it, I said, no, just listen, just stay. I, I call it dynamic stillness, dynamic yeah. patience even. you know. And eventually what made that decision kept my crib safe and sound so that when you needed it first before we went to court we brought you out we brought you out to california where we really had to look at each other in the eye and then we really sort of crafted you know the ways to go forward the ways to expand into the right range of actions that would then prepare us for the things that we couldn't expect like me being at the court when the predator dude comes out the bathroom while I'm going in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, I remember saying, when you told me that. Yeah. Here's my chance, actually, you know, but, uh, you know, without overdoing it, I just remember saying, okay, no, 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 no. This is the, mm, God, this is the test right here, bro. This is the test. Mm-hmm. Handle your business and let this system handle its business. And I'm not saying I'm some famous supporter of the justice system or what have you. But in this case, you know, what accounted, what, sorry, uh, I'm trying to quote Sister Shahida, Sister Aisha, you know, the, the accountability that was necessary in that moment was mm-hmm. not one to one. It was the accountability that he had to go through. Mm-hmm. Since we were in the courtroom and you yeah. had benefited from getting the support of right. the prosecutor, you know, right. back there in Maryland. So, I, I, I yeah, this is, you know, this <clears throat> and sometimes even now, uh, years later, when you're feeling something and you say, hey, man, I just need to talk with you. 
and we'll cl- clarify. And we might say, I say, well, you want me to just listen or you want me to listen mm-hmm. and then respond? You know, and that's one of the tools that we now use. Right. And vice versa. When I say, all right, I just need to run something by you. I don't need an opinion right now. Just hold on. But let me get it out. Yep. Yeah. And that's so yeah, that, and in, in, in its own way, I just I'm sorry. It just hit me in its own way. When you craft those kind of ground rules, that's doubly non-abusive. Because now, even the difference in our age and our roles and whatnot, yeah. I still get you acting as a non-abusive loved one for me. Right. Because we also have context. to remember, right, I also had to remember, like, vulnerability dumping is a thing where you dump all Ooh. of this stuff on someone. And that, I will say, it's not my vulnerability That's dumping. Homegirl, I read man. from Brene Brown because she is a vulnerable. You know I was going to quote it, but I read the book and it was like, oh, this is a thing. So I'm not, I'm not claiming that. But it is. It's, it's when you're yes. dumping everything on mm-hmm. someone. And right, then right, you're right. like, this expectation already is innately in you. Like, oh, yes. I'm going to be too much. I've exactly. given everything. But you've never created the boundaries and the real relationship. You didn't just do mm-hmm. a little bit at a time. You did everything yeah. all at once. So oh, sweet. That's, uh-huh, I got you. that's mm-hmm. one of the ways. And I know she goes into so much more. Like, I could talk about her forever. But, yeah. <laughs> but we just have to remember as a survivor, as someone who has experienced any type of trauma, it's like, don't put it all on someone and then tell them, oh, don't do anything. Uh, I don't want it. Because then what it's doing is clearing your palate. And then now you've just mm-hmm. given it to everybody else. And that's not fair to them, you know? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Another point I wanted to make also is recognizing that even as a survivor or someone who's gone through something, as you grow and as you do your own healing, you can become a non-abusive loved one to someone else right. because you've done the work to prepare yourself to be available. Because a lot of times yes. that also is what happened. Other survivors become the non-abusive loved one and the support system to people who have been abused. Um, you know, and even I also always kind of want to do this because I want to make sure people understand like our mm-hmm. conversations are not only related to my personal experience mm-hmm, with mm-hmm, abuse. Mm-hmm. This all kind of relate to when people are going through grief, when they've lost someone in their family. Right. Um, they also can go with, you know, social grief of like what's happening in the U S from over 2020 into like right now with the black lives matter movement. It's like, mm-hmm. how can you be a non-abusive? It's a loved one or an ally. It's really mm-hmm. about, Finding the characteristics right. of compassion, of of listening, of right. empathy, and really being able to receive and also listen, actively listen, so that you can ask someone else, what is it that you need? How can I support right. you? Versus right. trying to automatically give someone a solution for something. It is, it's mm-hmm. good in relationships because... I think we have, we've all heard the men and women where men want to fix and women just want to, you know, dump. And, you know, I've heard it in different ways where, I mean, I think you said it best, dad, like when you're like, well, do you want a response or do you want me to just listen? Mm-hmm. I think that can be in any type mm-hmm. of relationship, whether right. it's parental, right. whether it's at work, because sometimes you need to vent at work. You ain't really asking for a solution to this work mm-hmm. problem. You're asking for Look, I just need to close this door as my right, coworker, right. and I need to get this, you know. And then you also you recognize is this person in your in your co-working space? Are they trustworthy? Mm-hmm. Like, can you have clear, right. unadulterated like vent sessions with a coworker mm-hmm. and not risk them 
taking what you said to the higher ups right. to make it seem as if you don't, you know. So again, all of these characteristics are relevant in a larger in in the whole world, not just as abuse um, survivors, but also just as human right. beings. So, yes, yeah, so an atmosphere of reciprocity, of ethical yeah. reciprocity, an yeah. at- atmosphere of what we used to say in the old days, each one teach one. But in this context, I'd say each one be one for mm. one another. And there you have echoes of golden rules and other things. So I know yeah. we're running out of time, but I just want to just make sure I got the reciprocity in there. Yes. Uh, ethical because reciprocity. Ethical reciprocity. I'm getting applause from the young. You're getting applause. Uh, each one well, be one. That's each extra one be applause. one. Yeah, because in the old yeah. days, you know, we say each one teach one. Well, nowadays, I guess they say pay it forward and whatnot. All mm-hmm. these are all these are proverbial, you know, frameworks. Yeah. Where the, the the collective wisdom of the community and the history and the culture says these things through these distilled you know breakdowns known as proverbs. Mm-hmm. So, but mm-hmm. I do think yeah, non-abusive loved one. I do. I think it's a little clunky if I'm writing a sentence. It ain't going mm-hmm. in no poems of mine. I'm gonna tell you that now. <laughs> but it's a beautiful framing device. I think non-abusive loved one. And within there, you get to mold it, shape yeah. it together yeah. into the set of actions that will benefit uh, both participants. That's all I got to say right now. I'm done. That's personally. it, man. Look, ethical, ethical reciprocity. Come okay. on. <laughs> That's all I got for y'all. So thanks for, for joining yeah. us for this episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, come back soon. We got more for you yeah. later. Yeah. You've been listening to Conversating with Pops and Ade. We're your hosts, Peter Harris. And I'm Adenike Harris. Please, wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe, share with your friends, and give us feedback. Also, don't forget to follow us at our Instagram page at Pops and Ade, P-O-P-S-N-A-D-E. Facebook, we are Peter and Adenike Harris. And you can also find us on YouTube where you can see other videos of work that we have done, including our TED Talk entitled Healing versus Retaliation. Thanks again and come back soon.